to 1 Timothy. We're going to look at a, a situation that's very similar. Although Timothy is not fighting a practical, real war with bullets and swords and blood and guts, although Timothy is not fighting that type of a battle, he is fighting a spiritual battle. And the enemy, it's not Charlie, but the enemy is the devil himself. And the devil's plan is to steal, kill, and destroy. And Paul is speaking to this young man and working in a very difficult city. And he's saying to him, you need to dig your feet in. And he, you have this huge problem. And if you turn your back on this problem, you will die. And you need to dig your feet in. And you need to face this problem head on. And you need to look this fear in, its face, in the face and not give up and remain to have hope. Timothy, First Timothy is a very, it's a, there's two things that we're going to be looking at it today because it's, a, it's an interesting book. It's, a, it's powerful, but it deals with a social situation that is extremely complex. How many agree that we live in some very difficult times where social situations are, are very complex? Like, it doesn't seem like there's a right answer. If you have kids, or if you are a young person, you need to listen to this message today because, well, I, I would say if you have kids, this is probably one of the most important, most practical messages that you could hear. I will read a little bit. First uh, Timothy chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ, by the command of God, our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, our hope to Timothy, my true son in the faith. And so he's, he's treating Timothy like a true son. Skip down to verse 5. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have wandered away from these and they have turned to meaningless talk. Over and over again in Paul's letters and then in Revelation and parts throughout the New Testament, even Jesus himself says that in the end times, people will turn away from the faith. Paul even goes on to say that even the elect, we're not quite sure who and what the elect are, but they're very important people, right? Supposedly. And even they will be deceived in the end times. And families will leave the faith. And young people will leave the faith. Here is the sobering truth about the social situations that we are living in today. I'm not making this up. This is true for the church across the board, not just our church. But, well, frankly, it's just American Christian culture. We are losing Entire generations in the droves. We graduate them and they don't come back to church. And we have to ask these very important questions as to why. And we're coming up with all kinds of ideas. We can think like, well, it's because of this, because of this, because, well, we don't, we don't necessarily know why they are leaving in droves. But one of the one of, I, one of the criticisms, if you want, call it a criticism, is that the church and that the Bible, it's antiquated and it's, it's, 
It's old-fashioned, and it's racist, which is a big, fat lie. And the Bible is sexist, which is another big, fat lie. And the Bible is not true, and then it's anti-scientific. And so there's all of these criticisms that, that, get, that get preached. And our young people are buying it, hook, line, and sinker. And they're, they're saying, you know what, I, I kind of like Jesus, but I don't like the church. I don't like the hypocrisy. I don't like and the social issue that we're going to be talking about today is women in the church. How we view women in leadership in the church. And from the outside world looking in, they see us and they think that, that the church is full of a bunch of male chauvinists. That's their perception. It's not true, but that's their perception. Moms and dads, listen to me. If you have a young daughter or even a young son, and they come to you someday, he's like, you know what, mom and dad, I'm just really not into the Bible right now because it's a sexist book. And if you don't know the scripture that I'm going to read today, if you don't have a defense for the faith, you're doing your child a disservice. You need to understand this passage. You need to understand it. You need to be able to teach it like I'm teaching you. You have full permission to rip me off every bit because I'm ripping a lot of people off today. I have pilfered a lot of sermons and a lot of talks and a lot of books, and so it's a one big giant ripoff. So you are more than welcome to rip me off today because you're going to need it. You're going to need it someday. Your child is going to be disillusioned with faith. And you're gonna, you, this is your opportunity to step up and to speak life and to hope into him or to her. All right. Some have wandered away from these things and they've turned to meaningless talk. Verse 18. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you. Timothy is in a very difficult situation. Let me give you a little background. Timothy is in Ephesus. If you were with us a few weeks ago when we went over the book of Acts, maybe you remember that Ephesus is a hotbed. Ephesus was a city that needed to be taken for Jesus because it was powerful and it was immoral and it went against the very grain of what Jesus came to do and what Jesus was teaching. It was such a key city. And just like, could you imagine if we went into Las, I like to pick on Las Vegas. Dad went to Las Vegas last week and he agrees with me. He was like, shh, don't tell anybody. It's the first time he's ever been to Las Vegas. What was your impression of it's the last time he's ever going to go to Las Vegas. He went, to the, he went to go see a concert, not to do the, whatever, what are those things called? He didn't waste a nickel. He didn't stick a penny in one of those one-armed bandits. Could you imagine if we brought the gospel message into Las Vegas? We shared the love of God to them. We gave them hope for their future. We, we said to them that there's more to life than this fake facade, right? Because it's all fake. Like Caesar's palace is one big giant piece of plastic. 
styrofoam. That they've, it's all a facade, it's all fake. Hmm? And we went in and we said, look, there's more to life than, than showgirls in, in, in gambling, in the seedy behavior, in alcohol that costs, I don't know, how much, like, like, how much is alcohol on the streets there? It's ridiculous, right? They're out to, they're out to take your money. That they take your money. They're good at it. Could you imagine we went in and the entire community experienced the presence of God and they get healed and they get saved and they get delivered and they find that there's a new hope and all of a sudden, within a few days, they quit gambling. They, get, they quit going to those shows that are immoral. The, they, they quit committing crimes because they're greedy. And the whole economy of that environment changed. There would be some very upset gangsters if Jesus had his way in Las Vegas, right? Be some very upset mobsters if we took away their money because they, we gave people the hope and they changed their lifestyle, they changed their behavior, they changed what they spent their money on. Well, that's exactly what happened in Ephesus and Acts. Because, because Ephesus was like Disneyland. It was like the Las Vegas of the ancient world. It was, uh, Ephesus had the temple of Artemis. Do we have a picture of that? There, there she is. It was one of the seven wonders of the world. It was 450 feet high. It had, a, it had Artemis or Diana, the goddess, uh, which, I mean, she was amazing. She, uh, they said that, that, that Ephesus was founded by the Amazon women. Right? Remember the, the myth of the Amazons? Wonder Woman is coming out in, in the movies pretty soon. It's that idea. This is the temple. This is the, this is the society of Wonder Woman. This is where she comes from. I'm going to go see Wonder Woman, by the way, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to enjoy it. I liked Wonder Woman when I was a kid. And the, the problem with Axe is that... Um, that, that there was a guy that was making all these, these action figures of Wonder Woman, of Artemis, these silver statues. And when Jesus got a hold of the city, people quit buying them. And it caused a riot. It, violence broke out because the gospel took away the financial stability of this place. And they freaked out. And so this is the environment that this young man, Timothy, is ministering in. He is in a powder keg. It is, you think that, that what we are going through right now with our social issues, with our sexual issues, with our identity issues, with our multicultural stuff, if you think that that is confusing, it was just as bad over here. And, and Timothy, like he was the right man for the job. His father was Greek, his mom was a Jew. Uh, mom and grandma taught him the gospel message. They prepared him. He had it all. He was ready to go. He had the energy to do it. He had the skill to pull it off. And he is facing a situation. Again, it is a, it is a powder keg. Like people, they want to kill him because their little silver statues aren't selling well. That's, the persecution is coming in through the form of economics. That's the main tension here. All right. Now, in order to understand this book well, in order to 
teach it to your kids. Not only do you have to read the word, you have to understand it. And then there's a theological fancy word. It's called exegesis. Not exit Jesus, but exegesis. I can't spell it for you, but it's not spelled exit Jesus. I know that. Basically, it's a fancy word for putting the Bible in its historical context in order to understand the truth of it. I'm really, like, I'm a history nerd, so this is a lot of fun for me. Like, and if you didn't like history in in school, I'm really sorry. But you have to understand history in order to understand the truth of what Paul is saying here. Because it just, well, let me me give you an example here. Chapter 2, verse 9. I want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety. Okay, that's understandable, right? Not with braided hair. We ha- do we have a problem here? How many people have braided hair? Ladies? There might even be some men in the room that have braided hair. A man bun, maybe. I don't know. That should be, like, illegal. <laughs> I could probably get into that. Mandy Van Hulsberg, do you have braided hair this morning? All right, soon-to-be Pastor Mandy has braided hair. According to the word of God that we just read, she's living in sin. Uh, Jewelry. Because it keeps on going, right? Uh, Decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold. Ladies, are you wearing gold today? Is anybody wearing a gold necklace? Wedding ring? Do you have a silver? You're okay, Sylvia. Doesn't say it in the Bible, so therefore you got by. Yeah. Gold. You have, do you have any gold on your body? You have your wedding ring on. Do you have a necklace that whatever? No, you are you are outside of, of the law here. Like Paul is not happy with you. You are you are you are a floozy. Or pearls, or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. All right, the reason why I'm reading this is because, uh, does this seem silly to you? What, so do you understand why we have to put it in its historical context? Do you really, th- because if this is true, like if we are to take the Bible and I believe that we should take the Bible literally. It's, I believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, that it is truth, that it is all truth. But here, what, what are we going to do? How are we supposed to interpret this? If we are to take it literally, that means, ladies, that you are all in sin right now because your hair is braided. That's ridiculous, right? Okay, so do you, are, do you see where I'm going with this? So we have to exegesis this to understand what Paul is really getting at because braided hair is really not the issue. Uh, gold jewelry isn't the issue. There's something else that's going on here. And it, we, you have to turn, look, you, I'm sorry, but today you have to turn your brain on. There's two parts to this message. One, this is this practical social issue in interpreting the Bible and understanding how women fit in. Because, it's, again, I'm saying it's, it's been an issue. You have to turn your brain on right now. Like, your kids 
lives are at stake if you don't think through the gospel message. The second part, you, I'm going to give you the touchy-feely inspirational part at the end. What, what do you think? But right now, I cannot dumb down the scriptures. Right now, we have to think about it with a critical mind and understand what is going on. All right, ladies, you ready? Brace yourself for a second. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but maybe for some of you, that those terms, you should learn to be quiet and in full submission. Maybe that bristled you up a little bit. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. <laughs> How are you guys feeling about this? Right? Okay. <laughs> Let's say it the Lord, right there. <laughs> Gary just said it doesn't work. <laughs> All right, let me help you through this. Because uh, one of the... One of the criticisms of the secular world, when they go after the Christian community, and when they call us sexist, this is the, this is the scripture that they quote. And so what I'm telling you is, I, the reason why I read it, I would rather us struggle and deal with it here in church than you be surprised by it later. It's better that you hear about it from me than you hear about it from the critic of a gospel message. You need to understand what is really going on here. It's another fancy uh, theological word. It's called hermeneutics. Uh, hermeneutics is a fancy word for reading the Bible logically. So if we are to take the Bible literally, word for word, and if we are to say what the Bible says is true, I believe it, I'm going to stick to it, women can't have their hair braided, and women uh, can't wear jewelry, and they, they, they can't wear nice clothes. In the same way, back up to verse 8, if you are to take this literally, hermeneutically, to think about it with reason and logic, to take it, well, if you take a literalist view, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. I just find it interesting that church cultures, none of them are really happening right now, but in past church cultures, the ones that made uh, women, uh, you know, they're, like they couldn't have any skin showing, not even their ankles would be, they couldn't even show skin from their ankles. And, and of course this was imposed by men for whatever reason. So they would make they would make their women do these things. They couldn't have braided hair or rings or whatever, and they had to have everything covered up. Um, but, they, but these men would not raise their hands in worship or in prayer, right? So hermeneutically, logically, for us to say, okay, women have to act a certain way and be a certain way, us men are going to tell them to do so, but us men aren't going to raise our hands in prayer and worship? That means that we're not taking the Bible literally either. So we have to be consistent in how we approach it. 
All right, let me tell you what's going on with Ephesus, and hopefully this will help you, help you understand, okay, because this is, because Paul is writing this in a historical context to a specific guy who is trying to minister to a specific people, and it is crazy town. Ephesus is about to explode. People are going to die, and Paul is saying you need to face this head on. And again, Ephesus, this is the temple of Artemis. This is the seventh wonder of the world, and their religion, their god is a goddess, Artemis is the hunter, and the Romans, they called her Diana. And she, of course, like all the other, you know, religions, she's, she's tied to fertility as well. The, that, this temple was completely ran by women. Well, I'm not saying that, to, I mean, I don't know, is that a bad thing? I don't know. There were no men involved in this, with the exception of building it. But they had complete control over the entire religious system in this city. And so what Timothy is dealing with right now, he's dealing with a congregation. Some are Jews, most are Greeks. He's dealing with a congregation that is used to women having complete control. I'm not talking about equality. Because equality is all over the New Testament. What is going on, what Timothy is dealing with, is inequality towards men. Here's a young man who's trying to lead this church, and he can't because it's full of very strong, opinionated, domineering women. Do you see his issue? No. <laughs> All right. Uh, years ago, uh, I was ministering in Romania, and I was preaching in a church in Romania. And uh, I, had, I had no idea what I was doing. I was completely clueless. And I'm not even sure what kind of church it was. I don't know if it was a Pentecostal church or if it was an Orthodox church, but... I get up on the pulpit and I'm preaching and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is really bizarre because, you know, there's an aisle, very traditional looking church, and men were sitting on one side and women were sitting on the other side. And all of the women had their heads covered because the Bible tells it you're supposed to do that too. So they, they took this literally. And so they, they respected, well, they, 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 why do they, because none of us have our heads covered, Right? So biblically, we're all offending angels right now. I don't know if you know that, but that's what the Bible says that we're doing because we don't have our heads covered because we're not in full submission. And so anyway, so I'm preaching to this group of people. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. Like the very fact that women are sitting on one side and men are sitting on the other side completely threw me. And then, and of course I had an interpreter, which has made it a little complicated. And then I, I knew, I just knew that I knew that I was not connecting with pretty much anybody. <laughs> and the little babushkas were uh, whispering back and forth, like, oh man, this isn't good. I need to wrap this up. So culturally, that's similar, something, something was very similar that was going on. Obviously, we don't have a time machine, but we do know that culturally, that man, the men sat on one side and women sat on the other side of church. 
and they had their heads supposedly covered. But it's even more complicated. Again, we don't see this. This is why we have to have the, the history to understand fully what Paul is saying. Um, there were, we, we live in a multicultural society. We, you know, sometimes, even, in, even on our campus right now going on upstairs, we have people that are, that are hearing the gospel in Spanish. So we have a Spanish congregation. Some of you speak Spanglish. Is anybody fluent in Spanglish? Right? The, the same situation was going on in this society. They, there were um, the guys that were, tr- like Timothy, that were trying to teach the gospel message. They were doing it in an uh, a academic sense, in a Greek approach, and they actually spoke a specific type of a language, a dialect, a slang, if you will. Not a slang, but a, 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 a form of Greek that was specific. And guess what? It was only the guys that were involved in the marketplace that, that spoke this language, and the women could not. They spoke a more common, I don't know, uh, everyday life, everyday language. And so what was going on, not only you have men and women on one side of the, you know, on the church, you know, there's, there's some, you know, oratory guy like Timothy trying to communicate the gospel to a bunch of educated Greek people, and the women are not getting it. And um, so some of us have our spouses next to us, and I see this almost every Sunday. There's usually a little elbow in the ribs. There's a little whisper like, yeah, honey, you nearly need to pay attention to what Pastor Josh is saying because this is for you today. (laughs) So there's usually this going on. So could you imagine if you came to Granite Creek and I made women sit over here and men sit over there and you didn't have the opportunity to jab your spouse whenever a zinger was going on or maybe you even had a question. What? Honey, what what does hermeneutics mean? Can you tell me what that is again? And so they... What they believe what was going on is that the women could not understand, and this wouldn't be the first time in human history, the women could not understand what the men were saying. And there was a lot of chatter going back and forth in the auditorium. There was a lot of confusion going on, and women were saying, what did he say? What? They were interrupting the sermon constantly. And because this is... The, the culture of Wonder Woman, they were empowered to do so. They were taking control. And in other parts of the Bible, it says, Paul says, okay, women, you need to ask your husbands when you go home what was actually said because they didn't understand what was being communicated. So that's part of what's going on. Oh, man, I got to get to the good part. Let's go to the full submission part. The one that made your, your, you know, this is, you know, maybe it made you angry. Paul is telling Timothy, all right, I understand your social situation. It's very complex. You need to tell the women that they have to sit in silent submission. Is that a positive thing or a negative thing? Don't answer that question if you're married. <laughs> no, this is like automatically, we think that that is an insult to women. 
Oh my gosh, folks. This is why we really under, we need to understand the historical context. We really need to, we need to have theologians that can do the hard work. Because we're going we're gonna to do some hard work right now. Because Paul is not insulting women. He's actually raising them up to a place that they have never been before. Because Paul, a man, once sat under silent submission to Gamaliel, his rabbi professor that taught him. What Paul is actually saying, you say, Timothy, you've got your hands full. You've got a culture that is, that is very complicated. You've got your hands full, and this is the plan. We need to raise women up to the equal level with everybody else. They need to do what I did and enter into quiet submission under a professor, under a teacher, under a rabbi. They need to be taught like I was taught. Most of you have been coming to church for a very long time. Have you ever heard that perspective before? No. If you've been coming to this church, you have heard that Jesus loved women and he elevated them to points of leadership. The very first people that encountered the resurrected Christ were women. And he gave them authority to say this is, he entrusted them with the risen Christ. For us, we don't get it, but for them, it was a big deal. And so what Paul is saying to Timothy, he says, you know what? You have a problem. Let's do it the right way. Let's send the gals to college. That's literally what's going on. He's saying, let's send the girls to college. Let's let them learn the way that that boys learn. Let's put them in a boy setting so that they can learn theology the right way. That's what's going on. Isn't that cool? Isn't it cool when we actually apply a little bit of history to this? Um, You've heard it said that Jesus is perfect theology. Paul's pretty cool, but Jesus is a lot better. Paul's teaching is amazing, it's deep, but Jesus is better. And even Jesus in Luke 4, we know we, we, hit this, we hit this one quite a bit because it's important to the human condition. It's important to our, 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 our issues, our, our default, our, our sin nature and our default. You know the story of Mary and Martha where Martha is working in the kitchen and she's busy, 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 busy. And Mary is not doing any of the work. And she's sitting at Jesus' feet. And Martha gets mad at Mary because she thinks that Mary is being lazy. And the lesson that we try to teach in this is that our, once we cross the line of faith, once we understand that Jesus saved us, we have this natural religious, and I mean religious in the negative term, religious defaults that keeps us busy for God but not in relationship with God. You understand we can be busy for God, but not be with God. We can use God to run from God. We can actually trick ourselves in thinking that we're doing all of this stuff and it's gonna make God happy and we're gonna go to heaven because we earned it, because we've been good little Marthas. And what Jesus is saying is, no, Mary has chosen the better way because she is, she is communing with me. She is resting in my presence. And here's what we don't get from this lesson. Mary is in boy space now. We don't catch this. Because again, we just, we just read over these stories and we don't understand the, the cultural significances of it. 
But Mary is now has entered into boy space. Good little Jewish boys would send a, sit under a rabbi and they would learn and they would be instructed and they would become disciples. Girl space was in the kitchen. Boy space was sitting at the seat of the teacher and learning. <laughs> it's never been done in history before. No religious leaders ever did what Jesus did. No guru has ever done, has ever said, all right, ladies, I'm going to let you in on the boy club. And you get to sit under silent submission like everybody else. At the, at the foot of the cross, it, there is equal ground. One of the, the reason why 2 Timothy, the reason why Paul does not hate women is because he says there is neither, in Galatians 3, there is neither male or female. There's no slave or free man. There's no Greek or Gentile, nor is there woman or male. Everyone is equal. It's completely revolutionary. No one has ever said anything that crazy before. Jesus changed the world upside down, and he says, okay, everybody is equal. Everybody gets to join. Everybody gets to play, and yes, even women. Mary gets to sit like a boy student. So this is what Paul is instructing Timothy to do, and yet we completely read over that. You see how important this is for you and your kids. When your daughter tells you, you know what, I don't like church because it's sexist, you now have the tool to say, no, it's not. Isn't that cool? And you can now interpret Timothy the way that I believe that it should be interpreted. Empowering women to be who God has called them to be. What about, um, I don't allow women to teach. Okay, this is crazy town. Again, this is where we need proper exegesis to understand what is really going on. Uh, certain churches and certain denominations, they take this literally, at least they try to take it literally. I don't think it makes any complete sense in my mind. I, I, I have to be careful, and I have to tread carefully because um, I'm not out to throw rocks at other denominations or other traditions that have a very different view of women in, in leadership and in church. Uh, we come out of a tradition where we value women leadership in church. We actually give the title of pastor to women in our church. Some churches don't do that, and it's not actually legal for me to judge them, but I want you to know that I, I, even though I, I love them and I understand where they're coming from, I really respect their approach to the scriptures. I just don't think that it's accurate or fair because they said, well, the Bible says that women aren't allowed to teach. Again, going back to hermeneutics, Okay, if women are not allowed to teach, then why is your Sunday school classes being taught by a bunch of women? They're, they're not consistent. They're not rational or logical. Another one that kind of rubs me the wrong way is that they won't give the title of pastor to a woman, but they'll give her the title of director, and yet she still teaches men. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's about, I mean, it really boils down to semantics. They're using this word, 
pastor. It's, it doesn't make sense. And to be hermeneutically correct, and I think this is why they don't do it, is that to be hermeneutically correct, the only people that can teach are men. That means that, guys, we only have one man that teaches Sunday school upstairs. That's Adolfo Rumbus. Everybody else is living in sin, according to some churches. Adolfo Rumbus is an amazing man. He's the smartest guy on the planet, probably. Yet he humbles himself and he submits himself to, to quiet uh, solitude. He submits himself under the authority of the church and he teaches the gospel message of Jesus Christ to your kids. I think that's cool. Our women in our church are amazing. We give the title of pastor to people in our church, women in our church. I'm going to just brag on us because I think that we should. Pastor Janie, Pastor Janie gets the same pay grade as men in her area. I think that that should be celebrated. The truth is, nobody gets paid what they're worth in this church. <laughs> um, at least we're consistent. And this is so important that we understand. Like, instead of like using the Bible to beat each other up, oh man, I got to get to the good part. All right. Do you follow me? Uh, if you have concerns, if you have questions, if you want to talk about this more, join me on Wednesday night, this coming Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. You can, we'll, we'll wade through the social issue of women and leadership in the church a little bit more if you'd like to flesh it out. I, again, the point of this, I want to give you confidence to be able to say, no, there is another way. There's a better way. At the foot of the cross, everybody is equal. Now, you probably didn't catch this. Again, so Paul is dealing with inequality in the church, meaning that women are kicking the men out. When Paul says, I don't allow women to teach, the way that it is translated, N.T. Wright translated it this way, I think it's right, I think it's accurate. N.T. Wright's a very smart guy, by the way. I have pilfered his stuff all day today. But what he is saying is, we have come a long way. A Jewish prayer would say, uh, whenever they opened up their church services in the ancient world, in the ancient Jewish world, a Jewish prayer would go something like this. I thank my God that I'm not a, that I'm not a Gentile. Right? <laughs> I thank my God I'm not one of them, that God made me a Jew. I'm so grateful God didn't make me a, a Gentile. And then I would say, and I thank my God that, that he didn't make me a woman either. This is what the Jews used to pray. <laughs> And the women had to respond in prayer in church, and they would have to say, and I thank God that I'm within his will. And so when Jesus came and revolutionized the whole thing, he says, you know what, we're taking this prayer out. We're going to have equality in the church because it's good and it's healthy. Now, equality doesn't mean that there's not differences between men and women. Can I get an amen? Like we are different animals. Complicated. Hmm? And so what I believe and what N.T. Wright believes when Paul says, I don't allow women to teach, 
is he's saying, look, we've come a long way in bringing equality into the church, and we're not going to allow it to go the other way, where this church is ran by the cult of Artemis, and men aren't empowered to be the men whom God has called them to be. Do you see? It like went to the extreme opposite. There's even a thought when Paul says there are no male and female. Uh, there's this thought that like these women or that this church actually took it literally. Like they they lived it out literally. Like that's why there was issues because like they they come to church and like I'm not a man, I'm not a woman. Sound familiar? <laughs> Does it sound familiar? They think that's that's might have what been going on. Like, women started dressing like men, and they think that that could have been happening in this situation. Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Yes, of course, there's no male and female, but there's also, God is celebrating the way that he's made you. He's celebrating the sexes. There's a, we need to complement each other. And there's even, like, this thought that, (laughs) I'll leave it alone. All right, let's get to the good stuff. Let's get to the inspiration because Timothy needs help. He's facing a very difficult and a very dangerous situation. And this is what, I read this earlier, but this is what Paul tells him. He says, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by following them, you may fight the good fight, holding on to the faith and a good conscience. Right? Chapter 4, verse 13. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and teaching, and do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message. When the body of elders laid their hands on you, you be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly over to them so that everyone may hear and see your progress. You watch your life and your doctrine closely, preserving them, because if if you do, you will save both yourself and you will save everybody that hears the word. Paul is saying, Timothy, in order for you to make it through this difficult situation, you have, to head, you have to face this situation head on, and your strength is going to be coming to you through the prophetic words that the body and the elders gave you. You need to attach yourself to your prophetic promises that God has given you. Are you having a hard time right now? Do you feel like you're up against the wall? Do you feel like bullets are coming at you a million miles an hour? Do you feel like you have no hope? Do you have a prophetic word that was spoken over you? That's where hope comes from. That's where we get this strength. If I've got to have the band come up to the front. I'm going to read a little bit more from Bob Whit- uh, Whitworth. What helped me during those times was being able to trust the Bible. The meaning I found there about life, it kept me going. If it told me to forgive, I forgave. It told me how to make right decisions. I was in the army, but my commander was the one whom I trusted, was Jesus. 
One who instead of avoiding danger, he faced it head on. I learned that Jesus wouldn't necessarily take me out of trouble, but he would be with me through it, teaching me how to trust him. His word gave me power beyond myself to move forward. Um, many soldiers that fight a war and they see their friends killed, they go through these thoughts like, okay, how come it wasn't me? How come, I, how come my buddy died and I didn't die? And Bob was the same. He asked these same very questions. Why, why did my friend die next to me? And he comes to the conclusion in this book. that it was God's divine will that was protecting him. He had bullets whizzed by his head inches away. He stepped on landmines that didn't blow up. He was caught in some of the most horrific situations that, that, that's imaginable. And as he's trying to reason this thing out, he's like, you know what? In retrospect, I got a lot of issues going on, but I know that God's hand was in this and he saved me. Why? Why did, Bob, why did God spare Bob and not everybody else? Well, I think, I think it was so that he could write this book. I think it was so that years later, what is it, 50 years now? Some 50 years later, that Bob's words would have been read to a group of people in Claremont that call their home Granite Creek. That's, I believe that's the reason. I believe that's why he had hope to continue to go forward because he knew that his life was meant for something. And maybe it is just the simple. He goes on to say, maybe this is the whole reason why he survived Vietnam. It might be from these words right here because you might need to hear them. He says, give Jesus a chance. Come to him privately. Ask him to forgive your sins as few or as many as you have. Begin the journey to join his family and to develop a real relationship with him. I have never regretted my decision to trust God, even when things happened that I did not understand. I was pointed in this direction early on, but, it still had to, but I still had to stand the hard test of life. My hope's foundation is in the one who cares for my soul, who died for my sins, and who proved himself trustworthy. Jesus has given me hope and the answers to life's questions. He is my friend. He is my source of inspiration and the anchor in all of life's storms. Maybe that's you. If that is you, if you need to make Jesus your friend, 
Let's just bow our head and close our eyes. God, if I pray right now you just do a work in us, that you just open us up to your truth, that you open us up to the gospel message. And if this word was for you today, if this Vietnam survivor, this guy that carried a machine gun, if his words about Jesus were for you today, come to him privately. Accept Jesus into your heart. Say, I want a real relationship with you. If you're facing difficulties, if you're facing a storm, if you're facing a social situation or a financial situation or a health situation that you feel like you can't get out of, what has God told you? What prophecy has he spoken over your life? And if you're saying to yourself, Pastor Josh, I don't have one. I got some good news for you. I've got one for you today. If you've never been prophesied over, if you've never given, if you've never been given hope that's just that, that thing that's gonna keep you going, I've got it for you today. And our pastors have it for you today. And our prayer partners will have it for you today. We're gonna continue this last song. And then over here in the end, if you need prayer, if you'd like, for, if you'd like to have God's word spoken over you, because you feel like you don't have the tool to get through this situation, this firestorm that you're in, let us speak life into you. We're, we've made a little designated area over here by our kitchen next to Martha. And we would just love just to speak to you after the service. Let's worship.